The brothers wish. The brothers wish, brothers wish. The brothers wish. The brothers. You're now listening to hey everybody, Greg, this is Greg of the Brothers Wiss number 149. I am here in College Station, Texas, as per the usual. I have one new face, one returning face. Uh, well, actually two returning faces. I, uh, I say one is new because we haven't seen him in about a year and a half, give or take. But it's always such a pleasure. Well, you know, honestly, uh, this individual overfills your cup so much that, you know, it takes a little while before you exhaust it also. Uh, so he's here just in the nick of time to give us a refill. And that would be one Tom Smith from, you're from um, Kentucky, right? The Kentucky accent? Uh, definitely. Yeah. No, I'd be a Ross Craig County Tipperary in the best country in the world. That is Ireland. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, you know. But, Everybody uh, knows the best country the in the world the is Texas. Best country in the world, United States. You know, um, <laughs> our, you know. I suppose with the European team, I should really put you at the number 20, 28 or 29, you know, because uh, <laughs> with the member states of the EU. But no, no, uh, it's great to be back, guys. And uh, sorry, I've been busy. Uh, it's been uh, it's been busy this side of the pond, uh, COVID and all that. So I did uh, miss yeah. you all. And uh, lots happened since since we were last talking and uh, and. Uh, Greg, I really appreciate all the work you and the guys, Mike, have been doing. Uh, it's really awesome, and uh, uh, thanks for well, having me back. All we've been doing is slagging you off for the last year and a half, so uh, I'm glad that you appreciate our efforts. Oh, well, if you know, it's the water off duck's arse, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We also have him with us, uh, Colin Z, Colin Zappalak, right? Isn't that how I say it? Yes, sir. Yes, right. sir. When I say it that way, I always think it sounds Czech to me, Zappalak. I think it's Thomas would know this one better, but I think it's it's an Americanized form of uh, Zapolovach or somewhere something like that. Um, so, and of course, family's been here for over a hundred years. That's so. <laughs> uh, another fellow Texan from the greatest country on earth, Texas. <laughs> I like that. All right, so you know, you know, you mentioned that. You mentioned that. Uh, I remember something. Maybe it was six, seven years ago now, where they put all the uh, the uh, cotton producing countries from uh, uh, you know production highest to lowest, and the the re the one I was reading, they actually split out Texas. Um, Texas was number four in the world. Baller, man! I think at one point we like exported like a uh, whole lot of rice compared to like some other places as well, which kind of surprised me. I never thought of us as like rice growers down here, but we do everything. Supposedly we're one of the few States, you know, we, we allow ourselves to be States. One of the few States that uh, is kind of standalone. So if you kind of carved of off, carved us off, like our economy would stand on its own, like our power grid, everything we sort of uh, separate, separate, but equal, uh, I guess. As long as all the, uh, the power plants are up and running and not doing natural gas, not going through natural gas conversions shortages uh it'll be fun i uh i got myself uh, a battery backup this year for uh, the shenanigans that i assume will ensue but uh let's uh let's get the uh vegetables out of the way so we can get to the dessert 
So we have a couple of uh, sponsors, no patrons this go around, no new patrons, I should say, and that's patreon.com forward slash the brothers with that way you get access to the patron only slack and become one of the, uh, the little brothers, brothers in arms. You got to get the official tattoo. We do it by taking a coat hanger. We bend it in a specific way, heat it up on the stove, and then we just kind of shove it into your arm. So it's not necessarily pleasant. Uh, and it's odd to think you would pay us for the privilege, but you know, people are lining up to do it. So, so be it, but we do have some sponsors aside from that. We are brought to you by Sonar, scalable, intuitive, and comprehensive ISP operational and billing support system. Learn more at sonar.software. Also towercoverage.com, the guys with the longest copy to read tower coverage is your RF propagation system to empower your network, real-time data metrics, enable your coverage area, reaching your customer base and more. The industry's best RF propagation mapping system allows website integration for customer sign-up and pre-qualification. Use this data to scientifically plan network expansion and help your WIS succeed. Get a free trial today at towercoverage.com. Smith, do you have tower coverage maps over there, or is that just U.S.? I didn't know if they went all the way over there. I think the U.S. have more accuracy. Uh, the last time I was using tower coverage, it was more accurate in the United States, I think, because... Uh, you know, uh, it's a privilege afforded to U.S. citizens for firing up all those rockets into space. You know, uh, I think you get a, but uh, it's been improving. Uh, uh, general, um, uh, the coverage in, in in Ireland has been improved, and Europe generally. Um, and the EU has some open data directives, which is kind of nice. So they're kind of encouraging governments that. Uh, you know, if you they commission a, a lidar survey, that that survey data must be open sourced um, and so that's a very positive thing so you get that one meter resolution uh, lidar kind of type uh, topography so um but yeah it's improving it, it traditionally was poor but i think it was a global issue you know so it was the united states and then the rest of the world mm. um but i think also with the kind of democratization of space or commercialization from Elon Musk and all those people that, uh, you know, with all those launches, um, you know, Ariane 5 and all that, I think uh, the coverage geospatial data available is improving. And obviously, you don't just have the geospatial data, you have obviously private LiDAR surveys available, but the data for them tends to be expensive, I have to say. So I think it's something that uh, I'd like to see more movement on globally uh, to make that more even more accessible. Um, like, a, a, you know, one of the topics we might be talking about later on, uh, you know. But, yeah, so I've used tower coverage. I think it's very good. Uh, uh, I've used, uh, I've also used, uh, you know, wisdom and stuff like that from other, you know, there's uh, uh, from Dave Birds. Um, and, you know, there's obviously, you know, the, you know, we've played Radio Mobile. Do you remember back in the day? And uh, <laughs> I think trying to load up. I remember actually downloading those SRTM files and trying to, to make head and or tail of them. So that was the shuttle SR shuttle radio radar topography mission. Um, yeah, and was... the, the last one they took was the last shuttle mission. And I know they did three degree arcs for the entire world and one degree arcs for the U.S. or North America, I guess, or the I US. think it was one arc second and you yes. were 0.3 arc second. I think you were even more high resolution. Which I was jealous of. I think you do have it for the rest of the world. You just haven't given it to us yet. So Uncle Sam, come on, <laughs> finger out, give it back. Give us the data. Yeah, I know I was playing with kind of the successor to uh, uh, Splat. 
not too long ago, and it was capable of using LiDAR, which Splat was only SRTM. So. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no, the, the LiDAR data, and I think, you know, like in fairness, when I look at tower coverage, and, and in fairness also, like any, you know, radio tool, you find that the quality of data in the U.S. cities is quite, um, I think spectacular would be uh, probably a good way of describing it, you know, you can actually see the resolution. But uh, that said, at home, when we started looking at it, um, like we did a mapping project for the National Problem Plan, Jesus 2019, it's almost three years ago now. Um, and that data was quite expensive. Like so, for to me to cover my area to get the high resolution one meter uh, resolution data for me as a company on my own it, for just twenty uh, uh, something like twenty thousand square kilometers, I think it was kind of or something like that. Um, it was like a hundred grand uh, for me um, alone. Um, so it was quite expensive, and so what we ended up doing uh, was pooling together 29 ISPs, doing a kind of a group project uh, to purchase, jointly purchase the data for like a six-month window, and then do our analysis and submit it to the government. Um, so, uh, which, uh, you know, they dutifully uh, just ignored, but moving swiftly on. But, uh, like, but still, the, the LiDAR, when you actually saw it, like, put into the... Uh, GIS system it was quite impressive like you could actually see like in Ireland we've quite pretty hedgerows hmm. so we've you know hit rolling hills and you have all these hedgerows and, and you, you know sometimes you can see like we have these things that from Celtic tradition like uh, ring fort rats which are like uh, it'd be like a let's say a prehistoric kind of type of castle so it's like a moat and uh, you but you could actually see the you can see the outlines of those in the the actual topography hmm. data so you can see these rigs and trees it was bad luck to walk through them you had to walk around them um but the reason why it was bad luck it was just uh, sometimes there'd be a burial site and so you could actually just break your leg going down through a hole uh, so it was more of a practical reason rather than uh, which became superstition hmm. but that's that's uh, i digress actually <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a habit but um yeah, no, the GIS stuff, yeah, I'd like to see more improvement of it around. In fairness, I think Europe and EU are trying to move that in that direction with the open data directive, which is uh, very positive, and we'd like to see more of that, you know. <laughs> Democratization of data that's really useful for, particularly for innovative uh, technologies like, you know, fixed wireless, you know, in, in addressing the digital divide that what you guys do in rural America um you know uh sometimes with the help of uncle sam and sometimes despite <laughs> the uncle sam uh and uh, you know so it's uh, uh, uh i think we have the same uh similar uh issues uh, over over in ireland you know or it's across the world you know so um, yeah we've had a distinct lack of european representation lately so uh very curious to hear about uh, how things are going these days so you had a very specific reason you wanted to comment, and so I wanted to um, to make sure that we gave ample time to that. So uh, fire away, give us uh, give us the uh, okay, the so, intro on uh, what you're uh, what you're interested in communicating. Uh, so for anyone who's based in Europe or in the European Union, um, or the actually the the free trade area as well. So like uh, so Norway, um, Switzerland as well will be covered under. Um, so there's uh, state aid guidelines for broadband and the rapid rollout of broadband networks in Europe. 
um, is being updated at the moment. And there's a 12-week consultation period that started on the 19th of uh, November or unofficially started because they're waiting for the translation into all the different EU languages. <laughs> um, so they, but the, the official, let's say, the, the draft legal text is in English and that will be the... Uh, and so it's, it's up on the... Uh, commission website, the DG competition, the Director General of Competition website, and effectively th these rules are the rules in which uh, national governments or member states of the union can actually um, legally intervene in a market to achieve a political objective. Uh, so, for instance, so for our friends across the pond, um, the EU basically, it's a very rules-based system, which is very welcome. Um, uh, I know that the likes of Trump and Farage, uh, you know, sometimes uh, criticise the, you know, Brussels and the Commission for being very, like, bureaucratic. But the reality is very different. It's a rules-based system, and generally the rules are quite um, logical. And uh, certainly the Commission have... Uh, put an awful lot of effort, it looks like, uh, into these rules. And I, like for me, as a small business trying to grapple with them and the European treaties, um, and I've been doing it for the last, I suppose, three years now at this stage, um, you kind of get to know what, you know, when you start reading them the first time and when you start to actually understand what the rules are. So they're trying to codify how they implement a political objective, you know, so... Um, and what's really nice about that and where, where I think Farage and the likes of Trump are wrong is that, you know, a lot of rules and policies have a certain objective and there's a reason for it. And there's, it's a, there's a scientific reason for it. It's not just um, and I, and I criticize Farage because uh, the impact of what Brexit has done in, in, in let's say, in the island of Ireland and the rest of Europe, you know, it's, it's, been, a, it's been an unwelcome distraction and it's because of on the one hand, criticizing rules and facts, and then on the other hand, kind of selling a false promise on the other side. So it's it's kind of a frustrating. Um, that and and you, but when you actually look at these rules, uh, the state aid rules, it's it's really important that uh, small businesses that might be affected by them uh, try to seek to understand them, and then to engage with the commission and their member state on how best to implement them because uh, so the objective uh, from the commission's point of view uh, or sorry from the member states point of view so this would have come from the European Parliament and the Council and various consultations is they want a gigabit in every home in the European Union uh, by the end of the decade uh, they want sure. a minimum of 100 megs uh, download speed <coughs> um, upgradable to a gigabit uh, by 2025 and uh, so that's a fairly uh, big target, you know. The last time they revised these rules uh, or the, was uh, in 2013. And the, the current benchmark at that time, the bench, which is currently in effect, was a 30 meg, a call to get 30 megs down, six megs up to every household in the European Union, and half of the households getting at least 100 megabits uh, download speed. So... And so this is so this revision is obviously to change the rules so as to accommodate the political objectives as mandated by you know uh, citizens and and consultation. Uh, so it is important. Um, and I suppose the impact to small businesses who've entered in uh, to the market 
uh, could be significant. So if you're a small business who's set up a wireless uh, network, uh, so if the question is, are you invested in the technology that could scale up to that and meet that standard? Um, so there's a lot of positives in it. Uh, there's a lot of challenges in it. So um, also, I would say that the previous uh, guidelines, uh, there was probably wiggle room for member states to, uh, I suppose, be, how would I put it, run a consultation to achieve a particular uh, objective. So they could say, they could put arbitrary kind of, if I if I was to be, I suppose, blunt, I would say Jimmy Crow type laws oh. or rules. So they'd say, oh, you're a fixed wireless network. Well, can you do this? And then you do all that. And then they go, but can you do this other thing? <laughs> and uh, so, and, you know, and they, you know, they can actually technically rule you out for things like, uh, you know, like I, I'd be probably a bit facetious, but, you know, oh, well, you didn't declare how much holy water you put on your base station. So therefore, <laughs> you don't qualify as NGA. Uh, now that's a bit probably a bit bit, bit harsh, but uh, but certainly you could they could uh, introduce or certainly that was our experience anyway uh, in the consultation is that you know you try to meet their standards in a very short period of time and uh, then you'd be you'd be kind of rejected af after a particular date when you couldn't really uh, when it was almost too late to do anything you know and that's uh, quite frustrating. So the new rules that the commission are are putting out there uh, would do address some of those issues. Uh, so they they address the the likes of uh, uh, they codify the mapping process. So one of the things about the state aid rules, um, I suppose, if I was to be um, one of the things. So state aid is uh, the crown jewels in the European Union is the. The internal market, as we call it, so the European market, 500 million people. It's uh, it's what it's probably the predominant kind of gravitational pull for for a member state to try and accede to the EU is to actually access that market. And of course, with that market comes conditions. Um, so, in terms of Brexit, the British wanted to leave the internal. They wanted to leave the internal market because of the rules. But they wanted to still access the internal market without the rules. Uh, bluntly speaking, that's what you know what happened. <laughs> Have their cake and eat it and too, Sunero. Exactly. And uh, the problem is, of course, the EU were like, uh, so you want to leave the club, but you want to have it still member. You don't want to pay the membership, but you still want to be, uh, you still want all the benefits. Okay, uh, leave that with us. So, you know, it's been, uh, and it's quite difficult. Uh, but, but the key thing, I suppose, is this internal market is like the, most important aspect, I suppose. And it, well, it was, initially it was a European economic community. It was, it was an economic project at first. It's of course expanded to a whole lot of other really good social and uh, political ideas as well, which has been very helpful to, certainly as Ireland has benefited as an EU member for, you know, uh, we went from being a, quite a poor country to being quite a wealthy country. And that's in no small part to the European Union and uh, the, the principle of solidarity. So when we were poor, bigger countries, you know, actually, you know, provided social funds and structural funds to, to actually, I suppose, raise the standard of living in Ireland. Um, uh, and uh, and now we're thankfully we're, we're we've come to full circle, and now we're a net contributor to the EU. 
So we've, you know, so we're, uh, so we're now contributing to the European budget as opposed to uh, being a, a net beneficiary. Um, but but like over over the length length of time, it's been quite beneficial for our country, you know. And so so basically, uh, getting back to it, so state aid is uh, is inherently contrary to the internal market. So the they, so they need to have state aid control. So that's the whole. And uh, in part of the European Union is we have, uh, so you have all these things like joint competencies, single competencies, so shared competencies. Um, but in terms of competition state aid, that's exclusively the competence of the European Commission. What that basically means is that when you join the internal market, you kind of, you do surrender that sovereignty to control the, your market in your country it's now a common market uh, and it's a you know and it's to allow that rules-based system to work um and so the but obviously the problem is that if if you don't have state aid the issue is as we've seen with privatized networks and all that type of stuff that happened in the 90s is that uh, you have you have cities and towns having great broadband and then the rural uh, your rural, uh, less dense popula- less densely populated parts of the country being uh, neglected uh, from an infrastructure point of view, and of course that's unacceptable politically. Um, and uh, so there was, uh, you know, that digital divide needed to be addressed. So that's where the stated rules for broadband uh, came in. So it's so the rules are being revised. Uh, the rules are being. Uh, Codified to be to kind of reduce wiggle room, I think would be the best way of describing it. So they're trying to uh, make it more clear, so that so that less stuff is open to interpretation. Uh, like one of the key things with the broad, if I was to summarize what the not the broad guidelines mean, is that you need to measure the problems. So you need to map the area. You need to map your country in terms of broadband capability, and then assess each uh, premises or each area on a premises level and assess whether those businesses in that area and the citizens in that area can get broadband of a certain standard. And then, you know, any business or premises that can't get broadband uh, above a certain standard is then okay, it's okay from in principle to now make an intervention of some sort. So like a so, so subsidize an open access network to go in and build fiber or fixed wireless, you know, so there's been a number of very successful fixed wireless rollouts, you know, from initially there was a cambium based rollout um, and uh, in Spain as well and in the United Kingdom. So in Ireland, the, for instance, the National Robin Plan is an intervention um, so of about half a million homes, businesses, um, and uh, that was a fiber-based intervention with open access, or uh, you know, uh, uh, or that's what it's meant to be anyway. So, um, but the issue, I suppose, where let's say where fixed wireless operators in Ireland would argue that the government never fully mapped and uh, never fully accepted actually our real-world capabilities as fixed wireless, so they intervened much wider than we would have thought was necessary. And so they would have overbuilt our networks, and that's an issue. Um, <clears throat> but and so the state aid guidelines now being revised is that you have you have measured the problem, then you have to consult. So when you measure the problem, then you have to push out and say, 
here's what we propose to do, guys. Here's our map of the intervention area. And then you got to ask the market, is this okay? And then if the market submits mapping data, you know, you need to analyze that mapping data and then give the market feedback on that. Um, and based on those rules, then obviously then you have to design a state aid measure. Um, and so the, one of the things you do is, uh, so you look at things like, uh, okay, well, we're, you can enter into like, for instance, what they call a competitive dialogue, for instance, or you just do a tender and you say, who will cover these, who will cover 100,000 homes and how, you know, how much per premises, you know, so you can just do it a kind of a, a blind tender or generally it's a competitive dialogue um you know with multiple bidders um and so there's obligations on reusing infrastructure that's already existing there's obligations that to crowd out existing investors and so what the commissioner do to this new rules is one codify the mapping codify the consultation and the mapping one that they have a particular section which like i think this is certainly i have a huge interest in and I think any fixed wireless or any uh, network operator would have an interest in because it, it codifies the things that the member state should ask you and also you should provide to the member state when mapping the capabilities in your network. So they talk about different standards. So they talk about uh, like these standards like in terms of you know the performance of your network. So are you an ultra high capacity network or very high capacity at VHCN? Um, according to the Barrett guidelines, which is like a, a body of regulators in European, uh, European regulators. Um, and so there's, uh, there's this document, uh, Barrett BOR 2165. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that, but it's like they codify what the attributes a, a, a very high capacity network should reach. Um, and also they quote the ITU standards for measuring uh, performance of networks. So you've got the uh, Y ITU Y fifteen forty standards for measuring, you know, round trip time, bit error rates, packet error rates, um, and obviously, you know, the the, the, uh, the service availability as well. So there's things like that which are much more helpful, so that you don't have this. It kind of hopefully will reduce the level where, you know, you, uh, where I think potentially abuse can occur, where a member state can create, um, you know, unacceptably high barriers of inverted commas credibility for operators in the market to just so, you know, they say you're all crap because you don't meet this awesome standard that we've set that, you know, no one in industry practically ever sets anyway. Uh, you know, with the best, uh, you know, with the with the, with unlimited resources, um, and so the codified standard is actually quite uh, quite useful uh, for because at least you know what the rules are. Let me ask you a question. Let me break in. Um, that take a, take a breath or two, really quick. So you're saying a lot of stuff. I don't understand anything you're talking about. So when you're, I just, you have to talk to me like I'm five. I'm sure Colin totally tracks this, but I've heard you say member state, no. state aid, state rules. Is this like a government organization that's there in charge of like setting these uh, standards you guys have to meet? Is that the idea? Sorry. Uh, the problem is um, I had about three hours sleep last night. <laughs> and uh, so I, I should have let off with that apology first. No, um, no. I, and I mean, I know I know this conversation is more for... Uh, your you uh, your European compatriots, right? You're trying to to get a message out. I just like 
I am so lost. I have, I am not sure so, what's going on. Okay, uh, how would I describe it? Uh, so the internal market in the EU is controlled by uh, DG Comp, Director General of Competition in Brussels. And so part of being a member of the European Union and having that awesome club of 500 million market is in order to ensure a level playing field, DG Comp and uh, DG Competition actually uh, sets the rules to make sure that the level playing field is maintained so that small businesses and big businesses can compete okay. um, without. And so they, they have a special... Uh, they've quite a lot of powers in terms of managing that and protecting the internal market and the fairness of it. Okay, so if I want um, to start a wireless ISP, I have to adhere to whatever rules they set forth. I, I have to play inside yeah, that field. Yeah, now if you are starting an ISP, you're unlikely to, uh, you do have to adhere to the rules, absolutely. But generally, uh, DG Comp is it's about uh, dealing with it's it's usually dealing with the bigger questions. So uh, you know, so it's like cartels. It's making sure cartels uh, making sure there's no collusion uh, in the market. Uh, I shouldn't have used the word collusion uh, for the Americans. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, uh, that's uh, that's been coming up a lot with my family members lately. So I don't even. So, 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 so you have that. <laughs> so, so you'd have all these. Uh, so, you've all these rules that need to be obeyed. So, when you're starting an ISP, um, obviously you have to deal with your local regulator and stuff like that. But in terms of uh, competition law, really, in terms of the internal market, they're worried about uh, is there price fixings of cartels type stuff. They want to protect against that, but they also want to stop governments. You know, because traditionally, you know, you had these unprofitable airlines. I'll give you an example, unprofitable airlines. And so you'd have a local government propping up their national carrier, you know, because every country used to have, you know, oh, well, we need to, need to have our flag bear. We need our, our flags on the tail of a an airplane, you know, flying in and out of our airports. And, and of course, there was uh, some probably pretty poor commercial practice and there was not... And the issue for that was that uh, if you're in the European Union is you'd have, you know, let's, for instance, a German airline competing against an Irish airline, but the Irish government are propping up the Irish airline so the Irish airline can undercut the German airline. So they wanted to cut out that crap so that there wasn't a race at the bottom in terms of value for taxpayers. But there was also other, you know, other benefits to, you know, you, suddenly you now had the best airlines coming through the most efficient ones and the other ones just being uh, dealt with through just the normal capitalists okay. uh, so they're i mean costs. a bigger picture i guess they're they're there to prevent corruption kind of thing they're there to prevent corruption in the market more right, so right, i think right. it's, it's, it's so it's what the idea is just fair play level play le level uh play, playing field and and so for instance like they would say state aid is not compatible but then they go, but then there's, then there, here's the other problems then that come in. It's like, well, but what happens if, you know, citizens' rights are being impacted because commercial operators aren't stepping up to the plate? And so there's a political imperative now to try and deal with that. And, and it's a logical, noble one. And then for fairness, it's probably one of the reasons why so many fixed wireless people operating in the United States and indeed in Ireland 
Uh, like, you know, we've had about 80 odd operators, you know, um, you know, there's about 50 fixed wireless operators. That's because we stepped up and innovated where, let's say, you know, the significant market powers, either through contracts or just through finance, weren't willing to uh, to to innovate or couldn't, you know, like, you know, they're bigger. It's harder to move such companies, you know, and innovate while we could turn on a sixpence or a dime, as you might say, <laughs> across the pond. Um, the 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 uh, <coughs> but but so so we had natural advantages there, and so we've been, I suppose, competing and flourishing in a market where it has been level in some ways, <laughs> you know, and that that and I suppose in some ways you could also say that there wasn't hasn't been that much competition, um, you know, that's the other side of it. So the so. The political imperative is to try and improve competition across the market um, and where services are below a certain standard to try and improve that. Um, well, and so That's interesting. So to me, and here's just another dumb question, I'm sure. Uh, you were saying that the, the regulators are going to be putting in a plan that you have to get up to a gig. Are they basically saying if you wear the moniker broadband, you have to be able to offer a gig by that time period, regardless of the delivery medium so um so they don't yeah so there's technological neutrality so they don't really care how you do it as long as you do it now there is an expectation that fiber obviously is a very good medium it's an expensive medium yeah. and uh, you know you know the technologies are there um fixed wireless obviously can do it in certain circumstances as well um and you know any good decent fixed wireless engineer would understand that you know, you've 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 issues to deal with there in terms of designing your network to actually uh, fulfil that need, um, and obviously the technology. You know, but giving a gig to every household, you know, that's that's the benchmark, and so that has to be. Uh, so so that's be. So, I suppose we'd have to put a call out to all the vendors to to improve the the equipment. That's that wild. Be available so on the- even in fixed based wireless, they would you guys would have to adhere to being able to do Cause I mean, in a rural area, being able to do that, like affordably is not exact. I mean, to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like in a dense urban environment with the technologies we have now, I can see potentially doing it, you know, like with telegraph stuff or whatever. But if you've got one tower that's servicing six people and one of them is like eight miles away, you still have to adhere to delivering that guy, uh, a gig and if say well, for example you well, can't that's do that where the state aid comes in okay. so if if it's not possible to do it on a commercial basis so the call initially what the the commission want to do is it's, it's kind of cars and stick what they're saying is we'll help you or not the commission but the commissioner saying their member states can work with their stakeholders in their area to improve standards of connectivity for their citizenry and one of the things you can do with that is obviously uh voucher schemes to improve take up uh you can do certain things like you know so free installations or reduce cost installations so there's different options there um and then there's one you know awareness campaigns like for instance small companies might not necessarily have the marketing firepower to and so a lot of people in rural part of America or Ireland or any part of Europe 
would have a situation where you know you might be operating in really well in a town you can see this other town but you you don't really have that much contact with them for whatever reason and you're not you know uh, you know in fairness i suppose if i was to be critical of myself i was an engineer who got into business as opposed to being a businessman who's trying to be an engineer it's kind of so I, I went to solve a technical problem in one area um and yeah i would say that you know that my marketing plan mightn't be the most amazing and I need to work on that and and you know um, but then that that requires finance and capital as well that's the other mm -hmm. side of it and and where the local government could probably step in and say hey guys can we all just map out who is available, what's available in each area? And so that when people are crying out and saying, we don't have broadband, they actually go, well, actually try out this guy. He's He, he may be able to help you out, or this girl, you know? So, so there's that side of it. Um, and so, 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 it's, it's, so it's a carrot and stick approach in ways. What they're saying is, look, what do you need to get this done? And then the other side of it is, that's the moonshot you need to aim for. And if you can't, then will the governments are cleared to intervene in their market as they see fit uh, with, uh, of obeying the principles in these broadband guidelines. And and some of them, are, and like I have to say, they are quite well written. Um, there are some ish, there's some vagaries. You know, there are some areas where they may be open to interpretation, and so we'd need to seek clarification on that. And that's why I suppose I'm putting the call out to my European counterparts, uh, you know, fixed wireless fiber, small providers particularly, uh, you know, to try and engage with this because this can affect you. Um, like there is certain, like there's very good things, like I think the codification of what a member state can ask of you in a survey is really important because, you know, it's to stop that Jimmy Crow types sliding scale of elimination um to justify a, a, a bigger ex intervention and i think that's a really important thing uh to to keep an eye on uh, and in fairness i think there's a, a good effort uh to deal with that at the commission um i think the other one is um i think the other the other uh, important uh, aspect of it for us is that you know it sets it codifies the type of quality we need to be delivering as fixed wire, what's been demanded of us, you know, and you know, and then the question is, can you do it? If you can do it, great. You're you're commercially providing a service, you know, and if you're doing that in a rural area, you're providing a commercial service unsubsidized, and you're meeting that standard, and that's great. You know, wear that badge with honor, you know. And then there's the other side of it as well. Then if there's a gap, can you can you plug that gap in the time horizon available? Is that feasible for you to do that? And then if it's not, then what are the tools that can be used to actually resolve that problem? Um, but, you know, if we, if we have an opportunity there to engage with this, it hasn't been done in about eight years, um, and it's really important. And it, these are the rules that will be used to either enhance your business or potentially overbuild it. And so there's, so there's upside risk and a considerable amount of downside risk. So it's, it's certainly... It's, it'd be good to engage with the commission on it because I think they've, you know, they've been working on it for a few years, uh, since uh, early 2020, and uh, you know, and I have to say, like, you know, there was a number of surveys done, uh, and I could, I could safely say that there was, uh, like, I, I did some bit uh, feedback and, 
you know, and so did other ISPs in Ireland. And I, and I have to say, you know, I would certainly get the impression that some of the issues we were concerned about are being addressed. Um, are they being addressed fully? Uh, we're trying to work through it. You know, we've got a couple of months to do it. Um, so it's running from the 19th of November to the 11th of February. And uh, I just think it's really important that if people want to reach out and have a chat with me um, and discuss it, or if, if they could read the DGCOMP website. So Greg will have the links in the comments below. Um, and uh, But if, if you want to reach out, tom.smith at wirelessconnect.eu. Uh, I'd like to, particularly if you see something that you're worried about, or you see, or if you have experience of where a member state it ran a consultation and it didn't, uh, you know, it, it, that there was some issues with it that you felt were either unfair or it went really well. Um, certainly in my Irish experience of the consultation and mapping process, well, the, I would say the consultation one was flawed, but the mapping process was uh, pretty unfair on fixed wireless operators. Uh, I can safely say that. Uh, but um, it was, uh, you know, but, uh, I don't want to really get into that. The, the important part of that, the important part of what I'm saying here is that there are guidelines being reviewed. Um, they're talking about achieving the political target. So in fairness, the commission are trying to balance, okay, well, the political objective is a gigabit. That's a tall order for any operator um, gigabit down, but like you know, there's uh, there's also rules like so. For instance, there would have been these what we called white, grey, and black areas. So a white area was that there was no, there was no operators. Traditionally, what in you know, if I was to overly simplify it for for the viewers, is that if there was no operators, like let's say broadband operators in an area, that was a white area, and it was like full intervention, you know. But you had to identify those. So if you have a, you know, you've got a million households in your country or your state, you need to assess which ones actually have broadband, which ones don't. And the ones that have broadband from two providers or more, they were traditionally called black. You could not ever intervene in them under any circumstance. Then there was gray, which was like, okay, there's one operator there and there's a potential that you may need to intervene in that. And that would be, you know, an operator that was acting monopolistically so you know you know huge connection charges for citizens and on you know unfair installation or something like that uh, so you know almost you know you could you know so in that case where the, the value for the taxpayer uh, or the citizens wasn't being or the, the the connectivity objectives wasn't being met at the prices that one would expect to be you know in average in the member state or in the union itself so um, you know, so if if people, you know, if the average was let's say thirty euros a month, uh, and then suddenly in this area they had really fast broadband, but they're being charged three hundred a month each, you know, that type of stuff. So in that case, there would be a justification to try and introduce competition to bring the prices down for the citizens in a, it, that would be reflective of of a functioning market elsewhere or a better regulation. One. A question, so there's, so a question I have really quick before you you move off is like um, you were saying in a white area that would be full intervention. What does that mean? Like who's intervening? So so in an intervention, so it's it's there's interventions can take different forms. So for instance, um, a government body could say we're from the government, we're here to help. 
Sorry, yeah, how do they help? No, but what you could do is you could they could roll out their own infrastructure, so it would be government owned and managed. Is that a common thing? Um, uh, it's it, well, think of it like this. I just look at uh, the U.S. That doesn't exist. You know, so it's, oh, it does. It does. Yeah, no, that that's FEMA's uh, here, motto. If it, if it, We're here to I'm help. talking about well, like in the tracks. in the telecom industry. <laughs> yeah, no, we, it's, well, it's all no, private. I know. Uh, like and every, it's, everybody it's private, lies to the government too. So, so like you know, you're so like you know, the FCC announced these uh, rural broadband voucher programs. The Obama phone. Do you remember the yeah, Obama yeah, phones? Yeah, yeah. yeah, which uh, which I have to say, I, I, I suppose personally, not all state aid is good. <laughs> Let's put it that way, and certainly not all interventions are good. Uh, let me be very clear, and some of it I find is. Uh, it's actually a social welfare check to corporate interests as opposed to for the citizens. So let me just get that out of the way. But uh, and certainly, you know, you know, but it's it's dressed up as socialism and it's for the people. But realistically, uh, you know, it, it benefits, uh, uh, you know, it, it does enrich sometimes. Uh, so would that be would that be common? Work. It would like they would pay some existing telecom to just build in there? Well, no. To be fair, and the rules are quite no. To be to no. Uh, how would I describe it? it the, it's quite sophisticated. Like I mean, you're talking about a fifty-page document, seventy-four-page document. You know, hundreds of paragraphs. Uh, and the original one, anyway. And uh, in this one, you know, there's it, it's it, it's 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 smaller, more concise, but they have a, a, you know they're they're more targeted in ways um, in what they're trying to do, and they're also. In ways, and one of the downside risks for existing commercial operators is they're trying to, I think, make it easier for people to intervene. So, you know, to, for comp, co governments to intervene legitimately. So, they're trying to make it easier for legitimate interventions to occur. Um, but obviously, there's a downside risk for any commercial operator in that. So, to answer your question, that now, t 10 minutes later, sorry about that, uh, Greg. So, um, when, so when an intervention, it can be a state body purchasing the infrastructure, raising finance and controlling the measure on an open access basis for other operators, other commercial operators. Oh, so they'll like put yeah. fiber in the ground and just lease it to Put fiber commercial. in the ground and then put the poles in, put the ducks and then, you know, charge CenturyLink and AT&T a rental gotcha. fee. Gotcha. So there's that site. That's one that's, you know... You know, and what's good about that, I suppose, from a, you know, uh, you know, as I, I am a capitalist, but I also have a social conscious, what I do like about that is you have public resources going into a publicly owned asset, which uh, is is kind of nice, you know, um, uh, um, <clears throat> from a from a taxpayer point of view, you kind of go, OK, well, there's value and it could be extracted. And in a few years time, it could actually make, you know, on a long game. It can actually make it back for the taxpayer. Um, in terms of the public-private partnerships, this is one where uh, I, I have to say sometimes I wrestle with the the value proposition. You know, gap-funded models. So, um, like a, just to give you an example, in Ireland, uh, the it's a ninety-five percent capital state aid intensity. So, ninety-five percent up to ninety-five percent of the capital cost of the project is being funded by the taxpayer, hmm. and at the end of it, it'll be owned by the private operator. Hmm. 
for five percent equity you know so uh, sometimes you know you kind of look at it and you go jesus <laughs> sorry you know but uh that's another uh it's that's another gotcha. it's another day's work but sometimes uh, i think when the state aid intensity and the public private partnership there's more private partnership in it um you know in terms of equity uh i think there's a there's a value there but that said now to be fair as well look the question is if you said hey i'm going to go to all these unprofitable parts of the country and i'm going to fiber them up you know what bank would invest yeah in yeah to give you that fund it's go, cost prohibitive oh, so you're going to lose how many million for the first you know <laughs> so there is the gap funding model so there is legitimate reasons for for for, for funding the gap um but it's just i suppose it's it's what's the return for the taxpayer cannot be a question Gotcha. That, that, that needs to be, but should be answered by, uh, and that's another thing that's pretty good is that they are improving the transparency requirements. Um, I would say that the the Irish MVP probably lacked uh, uh, transparency in that before the contract was signed, a lot of the documentation was redacted. So even the politicians who were trying to sign off on it and scrutinize it, they were looking at blacked out. It was you'd swear it was like the Bay of Pigs report on what happened, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, literally like pages and pages of black text. Uh, they, they just used black highlighter. They didn't realize that it was the wrong color. So they were like, oh, here's all the important bits. Oh, sorry, it's blacked out. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, like, but it was, it was pretty, um, yeah, so, so from that point of view, they've improved the transparency, but the rules, I suppose, are really important to, to, to try and grapple with and and just where I have an interest and where I think is interesting as always is where is it open to interpretation? What's the gray? Because um, look, that's where you can innovate, but that can, you know, that's, you know, so what's the loopholes or what's the areas in which you could, uh, uh, and that can be used for you or against you. Yeah. And, and if the rules are for, let's say, legitimate interventions, you want to keep them legitimate. Now, that's for me as a commercial operator in the market. That's what I want to see from the rules. And to be fair, I do think that a lot of them are a lot more clear. Um, but uh, I suppose, uh, and, you know, there's a black and white set of, of standards that we now need to meet. And we know what, rather than, let's say, here, tell us what you have. And then we'll tell you why you're not good enough, which is what can happen. Um, and I've personally experienced that. Uh, so it's not particularly pleasant, I have to say. Mm. But um, but you know, but but and, and uh, you know, but uh, and, and I certainly, from my own interest in it, I wouldn't like other companies in the European Union to experience what we experienced um, back home uh, in in that intervention. I have to say, but and so that's why it's really important for. For fixed wireless or small broadband providers, you know, regional ones that who stepped in to address the digital divide, that you're familiar and understand your rights and responsibilities, you know, because in ways we do have a responsibility to improve connectivity for our citizens. I mean, it's why I went into business. It's why probably you guys, you know, got into broadband and found it interesting was that you were actually helping connect people. You know, that's it's a really good thing to do. Um, and we do have a responsibility to play a positive role in that. Um, but we also, you know, as a commercial operator, you have to defend your interests as well um, and, and give good feedback. And, and particularly when I, I do think the commission have made some really good efforts in it um, um, and I'm still considering it myself. 
um, and uh, playing catch up, of course. But uh, but it, it you know I think it's a it's a document worth engaging with. And so if if uh, if you guys can um, if if anyone is interested, please contact me. I'd like to discuss it. If you've experiences where you know you're worried about or you you thought was unfair, it's good to get those to get that knowledge um, so that we can prevent abuse of these schemes as well. Because because uh, effectively, in some ways, like the downside of all these interventions is that you have these you're you have these commercial operators that are encouraged to address the digital divide, and then they go okay. Um, we're from the government. We'll take it from here. <laughs> so long and thanks for the coffee. Um, and so, so there's this situation there where um, that uh, then what you get. So no one objects to competition. I certainly wouldn't. But what you do want is a situation where you're facing competition from people who would only compete if they were being heavily subsidised by the state. And if you can't get that subsidy. And then you're being asked to subsidize uh, to compete against them from an infrastructure point of view. Uh, you know, there's a there's a fairness question there. So it's a, it's something that you know we need to deal with and grapple with. You know, is that so? I'm curious. What's the call to action here? Is it is there a particular issue you're concerned about? Do you just want people to be more informed? Do you just need more eyeballs to look at this to see if you've missed anything or like? Is, well, I, I think uh, yeah, I think I think one engage with it, look at the rules and see. Compare the original rules with the new rules. Is that is that a pretty big ask? Because you said the original rules were pretty massive, right? Um. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you guys have like a TLDR on it somewhere? Where it like too long didn't read. You know, like a, like a chart. Like here's what it said in the old. Here's the new line. Like pa 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 bow. Like side by side. I think no, my life. No. I it might be hard if it's a, a complete rewrite. Yeah, I think TLDRs um, are the bane of our. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's it's. Because sometimes it's like if somebody just looks and they see that mountain, they'll be like, "No, I'm I'm not interested." In that. But if you can give them the TLDR, they could do some comparisons and see. Oh, wait a minute. Let me dig a little bit more. In this. One. Understand the uh, Annex 1 is very important from a, a standards point of view. Understand what mm, the standards you as an investor in the market need to meet to, meet, to stave off uh, uh, encroachment from uh, uh, a state-aided operator. So that's, that's the selfish ask, okay? The other one is to find out where it's not that clear. And it's like, doesn't mean that I only have to do this, or doesn't mm. mean I have to do this, you know. Um, and then it's to ask the question of the commission. You see, if there's gray area now, um, and in fairness, I think there's been a really good effort to actually really improve. And in fairness, the first ones were actually quite well written. There wasn't, but like everything you do, it, it was relatively new. It was part of a program of state aid modernization. It was difficult to... Uh, it was a new kind of field for them. And so, and you effectively have a bunch of lawyers and people who may not necessarily build networks every day trying to codify rules for intervening in a market. And no, don't get me wrong, the people were, uh, the people I've engaged with 
um, are quite knowledgeable in the commission and all that. And certainly any of the presentations I've seen, they're well thought out. And if you read the documents, you can see they're actually well considered. And so it, in ways it's, it belies, I would actually say it's well worth a read. I would say that if you turn on the Microsoft, what I do is open them in Microsoft Word, and I read them, and I have your favorite Microsoft voice read the document to you. And uh, it's, you know, the punctuation is perfect, so it's like someone having a chat with you. And they're saying, hey, we want to intervene in the market. And they'll use all the inclinations for you and everything like that because <laughs> the commas are all well put. And what they're trying to do is, uh, and it's a, almost matter of fact. So it would take you about two or three hours to go through one document. But I guarantee you, every time you read it, you'll learn, you'll get a new insight. You know, the other thing is, if you are reading any of these documents from uh, my lawyer, I have a, a fantastic lawyer, uh, Nigel Young, uh, absolute genius. I just want to give him a shout out. Um, but one of the things uh, that uh, he always said, now, Tom, when you're reading these things, you need to read the footnotes. So every time you see a superscript number, go down to that. So, And then that will reference another document. And this is where it gets tricky, because <laughs> now you have, hey, what we mean by this is, like, for instance, for instance, in Annex 1, they said you need to codify the network performance. You need to, in the mapping project, operators must provide data on the performance of their networks. And then there's a superscript, one, two, and three. And then it's like, okay, so you need to do what, um, ITY 1540. You need to do in Beric 20. And then so you read those documents and it's like, ah, oh, that's what I mean. And it's, you know, so there's, and, and so suddenly it becomes almost like a mind map of, but in order to fully understand it, um, and it's tricky, but the lawyer was saying, when you're reading the document, Tom, don't ignore the footnotes. Mm -hmm. You you stop. He says, when you see the superscript, stop where you are, read the footnote, then go back up and continue and keep. So the document, yeah, it's, it's and then the footnote, sometimes <laughs> you'd be delighted to know references uh, a court case in the European Commission <laughs> or the European Court of Justice. And then so you have to read a judgment <laughs> or find the paragraph that they're referring to. Um, and usually it's a previous case law. So it's very rules-based. Um, but to be fair, it, it, they're, what they are actually, as a citizen who's not a lawyer uh, and trying to grapple with it, and these rules do affect you. And these rules can be used to enhance your business or they can be used to destroy your business. If you don't engage them and you don't understand how to look at the rules to ensure that the rules are being followed in your member state, you need to you need to understand them so that you can defend yourself. But also you need to understand them so that you can know what's your moonshot, what's your target for the next 10 years of your business, what's your investment plans. Because uh, you do need to have credible investment plans. And like, you know, they do try to deal. And in some ways, you have to remember that Generally, these are born, I think, and I, 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 look, I didn't write these rules, but my experience was we, and I think it's the similar in rural America as well, you know, you've got your Century Links, you've got your AT&Ts, uh, you know, which may have significant market power in your area. And so you've, you don't have much choice. And because of that, sometimes the innovation lacks, is lacking and investment is lacking. 
Um, and so it ways these rules were codified to try and stop that manipulistic kind of sweating the assets behavior of significant market powers. That's reality. The problem is that when you're a small ISP who went in to address the digital divide and you're being overbuilt, the same tools that are being used to deal with, you know, big corporate interests who are sweating their assets are also being used to, to squash you as a small mm. investor in the market. So it's, it's, uh, it's not intentional. No, one's, no one intends to do that. But that, that can become a reality if you don't, one, if you don't invest in your network, and two, if you don't defend your rights. So it's important to, to engage with that constructively. And if there is glaring gaps, because you know, no one has a monopoly of, of, of wisdom on this, is to actually try and identify them and flag them so that they can be addressed before they're fully adopted. So, so that is the call to action is, yes, read the TLDRs, read them, but read the annex, read, there's, you know, and for the technical people on this call, you need, please get your business owners, the guys or your business partners, the people, the legal people or the, the business people, the investor people to actually re grapple with this. And, and, you know, if you have the resources, obviously hire a decent uh, solicitor or law firm to, to, to represent you uh, and to analyze this for you. But certainly, like, and it is a challenge, like when you have these small businesses that, you know, would struggle just to invest in, in infrastructure and build their business organically. They do, we, you know, people like that don't generally have a high powered, sophisticated law firm with a team of lawyers, ones with state aid, ones with competition, <laughs> one, one with, uh, you know, uh, uh, all these different uh, disciplines that they need to, to, to be expert in, you know. Uh, I was just lucky that, uh, you know, for, for ours is that we had a lawyer who had a fixed wireless business himself, uh, very bright, very intelligent, uh, and actually had a, a, a keen interest in this stuff, mm. you know. And so, um, and, and I have to say, Nigel Young has been a, a fantastic assistance to, to my business uh, by just having that decent, high-quality legal advice, and I suppose that's you know get good legal advice. But if you have, a, but this isn't for your rather the bill conveyance solicitor or attorney. Sorry for this American side of things, but uh, you know this is is generally for for more uh, you need people who understand the state aid rules like. And I can say this for someone who's been trying to grapple with it. Like, I never thought I'd be reading Article 108, Paragraph 3 of the European Treaty, which, uh, you know, it's a notification of standstill obligation. I, Jesus, I, I never thought I could do that. Uh, but yet I am in trying to protect the interests of my business. Yeah, um, the, just from what you describe, it makes me wonder if this would actually stifle um, stifle innovation, stifle... Couple, like in my in my mind, I'm thinking. Well, if I'm a say I'm a um you know a smallish size wireless ISP or broadband provider, and I see this and it just looks insurmountable, what would I mean? Maybe I just try and sell my business, right? And then you start getting M and A's, and you know the big telecoms just start Pac-Manning up these smaller ones because they just it's like this is too much trouble. I don't want to compete. I mean, is do you think that's like some kind of a threat, like in these uh, scenarios? It, it, it's 
Not because of the guidelines, not because of the rules. Um, it's because, I suppose, the game. Uh, what, what I mean by that is that if you have a member state and the department in the member state has a particular opinion of a sector, uh, they can that that can inform like um, like I know of people being in meetings with officials and the officials saying uh, there's a train coming down the track get off the track I think now the state aid guidelines explicitly uh, prohibit that type of behavior what the intervention is meant to be is a carrot and a stick for people who don't invest. It's not meant to be a stick saying, don't invest because we're going to invest. The whole idea is to actually wake up the commercial sector, particularly the big corporate ones, to say, if you don't invest, we'll overbuild you. And, you know, there's a, you know, and, you know, if you think about it, you all remember the long distance phone call charges and, you know, or mobile broadband providers charging you per megabyte download, you know, some, you know, you could almost say, you know, uh, some of the types you would think extortion in time <laughs> <laughs> pricing. So, so that type of stuff, you know, the rules are been there to just try and cut that crap out and, and try and improve the connectivity. So it is, it is, um, so, so if done right, state aid is to promote investment, not to stifle it. That said, if a state member state and their officials decide they want to intervene at any cost, then that's a whole different ballgame. And then you come into the stifling and you do come into it. But that said, I, the only thing I would say is my own personal experience. I'm very bullish about my network. I am invested in it, despite being heavily competed against uh, through subsidized competition. Um, but that's because I'm an engineer and not a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, I can kind of see that if I want to compete, my technology has to be good. You know, that's that's the reality. But, but that said, uh, yeah, if you were a business person, it could be stifling. But it's not intended to be. And if it was done right, so if, if things, if the rules are followed in spirit and letter, you wouldn't have that stifling. It would be like, hey, these are the standards. Do you meet them? Here's how you get to it. Right. Can you well, get well, I just it? wonder if it's like not financially viable to get to those standards. Like if you could show on paper, it's like, this doesn't work out. Like the my people are so spread out that to invest that much in the infrastructure, I would, I mean, I would, it would never work out for me business-wise. So yeah. like, what, what do you do in that scenario? Well, what do you do in that scenario? Well, look, that's a commercial decision. So in a commercial decision, uh, it, the idea is that if you don't meet that target or you can't meet that target commercially, you don't invest. That would be, I suppose, you're, you know, you're, you're acting like a, a market operator. You know, you're actually making a commercial decision not to lose money. And you're entitled to do that as any business in the European Union or EU. In fact, I think it's encouraged. Do you don't make decisions that don't that cause you know that make you lose money? Um, but in terms of if you can't meet that, then there's a legitimate need for for uh, a member state to intervene 
to assist your fellow citizens get connectivity. And that's okay. Like, for instance, for me, if the National Broadband Plan in Ireland was sized appropriately, uh, I'd have no objection to it. Like, you know, one, commercially, if I can't serve a client, yeah, hell yeah, give them fiber. It doesn't affect me. But it's if I've invested, and then you're saying on the premise that uh, because, inverted commas, Tom Smith can't provide 30 meg broadband at 6 meg up, we're going to give this guy 5,500 plus change per premises passed in my area that I've already passed and connected. Yeah, it's a problem. You know, that that's, you know, so... Well, I just wonder, like, say, say I'm able to meet the guidelines in most areas, except for two small pockets where I've got 20 sheep herders out there that maybe watch Netflix. That's it. That's all they do. Or maybe they just, they watch, you know, they check email. So uh, honestly, they'd be perfectly happy getting 10 megs down, but say I can only get 250 megs to them. Does that mean like, what does that mean? Like if I can't meet in all areas and it's just some little BS pocket. In that case, so there's two aspects of this. And so there's, we have to be mindful. Um, and as a technologist, uh, how to put it here? Um, when we, when my business partner Michael Cotter set up the business, first of all, he set it up because he couldn't get Bravo in the burst came. And the best that we could hope for was, I think, dial up, so fourteen kilobits per second. And we innovated and we put fixed wireless out, and we got one megabit. <coughs> Now that was in 2005, so we had one megabit broadband, uh, and we bought one megabit backhaul, I remember, and we sold that 10 times over, and then we went to two megs and so on and so forth. And now we have, you know, 40 gigabits of net northbound capacity and uh, 30 gigabits southbound capacity, and then we have, uh, you know, and we're delivering about between 100 and 250 megs per client. That's what we're doing at the moment. Um, so, you know, we've scaled in the past 14, 15 years, and, and it's it's kind of nice to see that progress. Uh, it'd be nice to be recognized by our state-aided authorities, our state-aided <laughs> authorities, you know, but anyway, but like, but it is, um, but that's, that's what we did. Now, the reason I'm coming back to your question. Yeah, yeah, promise. you're bringing it home, I know. But, but the... But someone somewhere probably thought 14 kilobits per second back was enough for a farmer who was just going to look at Google and try and find, um, you know, so we don't know what will be happening in 10 years' time. Um, and and the, the reality is that the idea of the state-aided stuff is to improve connectivity for situation, to make things possible that weren't possible before. And that's a really good thing. And so, like, you have remote telemedicine. Let's say that farmer, unfortunately, has a cow that is not feeling well, and he can take his uh, phone and he's on Wi-Fi and he can do a Zoom call with his vet and say, and I, like, I'll give you a laugh. Like, I remember uh, my dad has a small farm. When I say small farm, 37 and a half acre farm so and you know it's when you put in the half acre you know it's a small farm <laughs> it's kind of like it's important <laughs> you know uh but uh there was he was he was in rome on holidays and there was a cow making this weird sound so i was looking after the cattle 
And I went, Jesus, I've never heard a cow make a moo like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, kind of, it was weird. Like, it was like roaring all the time. It wasn't like a normal one. So I remember ringing my dad going, hey, dad, there's a cow, uh, <laughs> this weird sound. And, you know, I had the phone up. <laughs> so, like, so maybe I was foretelling, you know, telemedicine. But my dad, being the cow whisperer, was able to identify that, no, that was normal for that weird cow and that he wasn't in danger of death and I, I wouldn't have a dead bullock on my hands. Uh, which was great. And so I suppose what I'm saying is gigabit, the objective is to give that so that people have the option whether they want it or not at the moment. So there's an objective there and it's a noble one. And broadly, I'd be supportive of it. But what I'd be saying is if people have, and I suppose selfishly, my thing would be if people entered the market to address the digital divide, they need assistance. And if they can't meet the standards that are being set that can only be done through commercial intervention um, and that they're now being asked to face competition that would only happen because of mm. state aid, that there should be some sort of compensation. Like to give you an idea in, this, in Ireland, so the state aid measure can overbuild our network apparently because we're not good enough, right? And then the person who's the state aid measure in the future could claim commercial encroachment compensation. So he's allowed to be compensated for commercial operators encroaching on him. Hmm. But we don't have any compensation for it or any. Uh, and for that, it's a bit, I suppose, in ways, I would say, a bit unfair um, and regrettable. Um, but that's that's for another day. But like, I suppose, in ways, but the, the, the objective is to improve connectivity. And look, here's the thing. People can work from home. You can improve your quality of life. Like, do you go to the office much, Greg, or do you work from home? I'm a 100% remote employee. You're a 100% remote employee, and that has been facilitated by a local innovator, I hope, in your area, <laughs> that provided connectivity. Or is it's it an incumbent. One of the big... Yeah. It's an incumbent. Yeah, but look... But that's the way it works in our cities. Like in most major cities, the incumbent owns it and they won't encroach on each other's territory. So it's kind of... Well, a, it's, it's, it's not commercially... It, it's funny because there's a bit, you know, there can be a bit of a turf war at the moment we're seeing in cities in, in Ireland. But, but realistically, um, like that innovation allows that, you know, and now you get to spend more time with your lovely kids, your beautiful wife. Yeah. And that's awesome, you know. Well, it's like um, to say I'm, um, I'm actually starting to like them, so I think I'm getting Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, no, they 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 drain your energy. But <laughs> like, I, I give you, a, I, I give you a funny story about my daughter. Like, I remember one time there was a storm and there was an issue with, you know, mascot, uh, you know, wind damage. And so I had to go down and, and I now I wasn't going to climb the mast. I was there more like the water boy, you know, make sure the person climbing the mast would uh, be fully hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I and, uh, you know, provide moral support and say, you're doing a great job there. And um, but I remember just saying to my daughter, she was like five. And she was like, oh, Dad, don't go. Because it was, it was late in the evening, you know. And I said, uh, I have to go. And she goes, but why? And I said, and of course, Sophie loves... Uh, Bayechkas, right, which is basically Polish for a cartoon. And I said, because the people in Tipperary can't see a cartoon. 
and the kids like you have no cartoons they can't see them at the moment if i don't go and she was just like okay go <laughs> you know it's really cool like you know and uh, you know it's it's uh, something that's uh, you know it's that 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 uh, empathy and i suppose in ways it's it's not just a cartoon it's a way for people to connect so yeah some people use it for netflix but there's there's huge capabilities and like like our capacity during the like the pandemic is we've you know our business has grown in the pandemic um i'd like to be grow i would like to have grown our business uh through a more humane uh, inhumane circum in hu in more humane circumstances um but it, it it was important you know to provide remote working facilities for people and uh, and what people are innovating across europe and america you know people who do this type of stuff to keep people to be able to work from home safely and keep connected for their mental health be able to talk to people be able to talk to awesome people like greg People be watching this video going, Jesus, Tom talks an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. But, like, you know, it's what we do. And it's why we're doing it, you know. So, and uh, I have to say, like, my, my, the team uh, uh, working with us, you know, they worked through the pandemic. It was it was kind of, you know, changing work practices, drilling holes into a house, throwing in the cable, asking to pass the cable out, crimping it outside put the router in place, having it back through the window, you know, that was, you know, we had to adapt to the, to the, to, to be able to keep people being connected um, and keep our guys uh, and our staff safe, you know, when they were on the road. Uh, and, you know, I really, I have to say just a shout out to the lads and all of the installing engineers across the world who have been actually rolling out this stuff, you know, you know, even my competitors, Grudgingly, my competitors. <laughs> no, but like I mean, you know, people connecting people. Um, you know, we we need more of that. You know, and uh, it's uh, it's an awesome thing to be in. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, I. Uh, it feels like it was so long ago. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to kind of remember those early days. Uh, the only reminder uh, now, well, because I'm in Texas, so you know, there's there's. There's no more pandemic. There's no more COVID here. We're just uh, back to normal. Uh, but in the long, long ago, you know, I, I remember what it was like. It's uh, it's weird, man. It's uh, strange days. I, I do watch a lot of British television, you know, so it's still uh, pretty real of it. Like, you guys have some um, really interesting commercials, like, you know, like state-funded commercials talking about COVID and and doing the right thing and protection measures and how you guys need to take care of each other. And it's like, wow, that's fascinating. We don't do anything over here. We just have, you know, like, uh, we had like, uh, old Navy commercials where people were wearing masks. <laughs> that's the closest thing we had. So it's just like, I thought yeah. Europe's approach, or at least the British television and stuff like that. Uh, it's very different. They have a very different outlook on, uh, on things. Well, I think the, I think, like there was like it was an example i suppose of uh you know one of the first things we did uh you know in in europe which was really good um was they collectively procured um vaccines uh and uh, which meant that you didn't have small countries trying to bid against bigger countries trying to bid against other countries and so what they said is right with 500 million vaccines we need uh who are who wants to give us the vaccine? You know, so it was, it was 
done from the and that was led by the European Commission and uh, it was very positive and you know it meant that we and I suppose look in the American pharmaceutical industry stepped up as well I mean you got Pfizer uh, BioNTech you had you know you've obviously AstraZeneca there was some controversies there with mm-hmm. supply but yeah it was um, and look I've I'm vaccinated I got my booster there although I was kind of wondering why do we need a third one to be honest but then when the third one was a different, so I got AstraZeneca one and two, and then I got my third, which was uh, Pfizer BioNTech. Uh, so I was glad to get it, but uh, I would have been wondering if I was getting the third one, why would I need the third of the same one? You know, but uh, but yeah, kind of relieved to have it now. Uh, but uh, I think but I think rich folks need to start stepping up and uh, provide vaccines to poorer countries because, like you know, this new Omicron. Yeah whatever however you pronounce the variants but like yeah it's uh yeah it's, i think all right well guys i guess we're gonna stick a fork in it unbeknownst to all of the listeners we've cut <laughs> out like 15 ish minutes maybe longer of diatribe that we sort of went on down a black hole that shall never see the light of day um <laughs> Yeah, we we, did, we didn't even get to the, the networking <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Tom Smith, this isn't the first time I've had to edit conversations with you, but uh, I have a feeling it won't be the last either. Uh, but uh, no, like I think it's it's always good to uh, it's always good to 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 discuss uh, politics of the day, affairs of the state, <laughs> uh, as Shakespeare Shakespeare used to say, the discussing affairs of state. I know, like it was interesting, uh, like. Uh, Guys, I missed you, and I have to say, uh, Greg, Mike, and all the guys, and Colin, uh, I really do appreciate the 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 work you've been doing to show to showcase different technologies and ideas, and and I appreciate the opportunity to just connect with some of the European ISPs yeah. that will be affected by that state and stuff, yeah. which is really important. To have and one last time, if you want those folks to get a hold of you, what's your uh, what's your preferred method? Uh, Tom Smith and WirelessConnect.eu. Uh, my mobile number, if you want to talk to me, is plus three five three eight seven six one nine three one seven two. Is that called doxing or something? Look, we can. Uh, but yeah, so um, but yes, I would uh, really appreciate anyone who's interested or has experience in this uh, to to just reach, uh, just to give me a shout, and we can discuss it. But certainly, familiarize yourself with them, and if you have an opinion voice it and engage constructively with it because it is important and it is about connecting like ultimately these people are trying to connect the unconnected in our communities um and it is a noble cause and it needs to be done right and we have an opportunity to actually talk about the very rules that will be applied for or against us or maybe have some say in the things that are going to be placed upon you it's you know this is probably going to be your last opportunity to do it for a while right Exactly for for the next you know I would say eight or nine years anyway you know so uh, you know if you're not in you can't win you know um, everyone who who submits will get a teddy <laughs> <laughs> no but like uh, no I do appreciate your time guys and uh, okay well uh, Mr yeah. Collins Zappalak if folks wanted to interface with you out on the internet how would you prefer them to do that um uh, probably on the Slack channel for now. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm on the Slack channel too from time to time. <laughs> Every six months or so. 
Uh, yeah, you're you're probably getting caught up in the uh, ten thousand uh, well, issue. Uh, no, I do get caught up with the ten thousand messages. You know, we gotta. Yeah, uh, 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 but so look, if if I don't reply quickly, email me. Sorry. No worries. All right, you can get me, Greg, at gregsoul.com's email address. You can go to gregsoul.com where I regularly blog again. That's new since the last time I talked to you. I blog all the time now. Um, but uh, well, if you guys have any uh, questions, comments, please keep them coming. Uh, if you want to hear more from Tom Smith, let us know about that too. I'd be really curious. All those closet yeah. Tom Smith fans, you guys got the lurkers. You got to come out of the woodworks and let us know about it. Uh, so yeah, that'd be one for your that secondary whole, podcast. Yeah, maybe <laughs> we could, we could do, we could do a slightly uh, more unusual. <laughs> we could do kind of Joe Rogan kind of format type. Uh... Yeah, I, uh, I do. Yeah. I actually, believe it or not, Tom, I've started a different podcast where I, I just have conversations with people. Um, it's really, it's more, it's more about, um, I guess me working through uh, my hangups and problems through other people. It's uh, it's interesting. So it's basically it's my therapy, uh, but I figure it out through other people. And I've talked to a guy named Jimmy Ogle, and I think I said maybe three things in there. I bet you could give him a run for his money. I uh, I'm willing to bet. I bet I bet you could only allow me to say two things. That'd be pretty fun. <laughs> You can do a fight to the death. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, it, it is important. Uh, like, uh, it is something I'm trying to work on. Is, uh, say less. Uh, my life coach, uh, James Kelly, has been really helpful to me. But uh, I suppose there was a lot to say. There was a lot of stuff to unpack on this one. No, so no worries. To, no worries. Holland and Greg on this one. But I'm always apologizing. But, you know. He should have been Canadian. So. All right. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Colin. I'm going to click stop on the record real quick.